Hello and welcome to The Trials, the system playtest actual play podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael and this is The Trial of Neon Sanctum, episode number four, recap and review. So at this point, we had episode zero, which was a rules review. And then we had three episodes of actual play content with our players going through the system. And now this is where we bring the players back together and they sort of discuss the game and what they liked and didn't like and questions and comments and concerns. So overall, it sounded like the group had a very positive experience. There were lots of things about the game they really liked. They thought that uh, Adam, who is the, uh, the main designer of the game, did a great job of running the game for them. But there were still some, a couple things that they didn't quite grasp or they're not exactly sure about, which, you know, again, we want to try to be as fair as possible on these, the trials and really talk about what we liked and, and not shy away from things that maybe we didn't or didn't understand. But overall, it was a very positive experience and they seemed to enjoy it. Uh, John especially seemed very excited uh, and he is ready to back it as we speak. Now, the game is currently in development. It is currently being kickstarted. I will have links in the show notes. Uh, to the Kickstarter page. Uh, Again, at last I checked, it was about halfway funded with about halfway through the campaign. uh, So they could use a a little love if this is something you think you would like to back. Uh, Just a quick note about our recappers. Again, we have the Caleb G, my normal co-host here, so you should know him well. Matthew Parody, who is a uh, frequent contributor to our Table Topic episodes, as well as Ravage on our Secrets, Lies, and the Undead actual play series. And then we had two new voices that joined us for this the trial uh, episode. The first is John, who is at Renaku on Twitter, and one of the co-hosts of a new anime-based podcast called the Transformation Sequence Podcast. And then lastly, we have Kevin Smith, who is Sharn DM on Twitter and runs the blog Melvin Smith's Geekery. So anyway, here is the trial of Neon Sanctum, episode number four recap and review. Okay, hey everybody, Uh, Caleb here again, and we are doing our special recap episode for our RPG Academy trial of Neon Sanctum. Uh, By the time this airs, you will have been able to listen to our episode zero, where we explored the rules and mechanics of Neon Sanctum, uh, and our several episodes of the actual play. That was all run very graciously by Adam, who has pretty much created this whole thing and is running this whole thing. So uh, again, a big thanks to him for actually taking the time to jump online and do that all for us. We're going to do our typical recap here today. So I've brought back uh, our three guest players uh, that ran through this Neon Sanctum adventure. So uh, just as a quick reminder, whose voices you heard, uh, first off is our very favorite improv gamer who runs out of burning buildings and is a a big softy. I I am a big softy. You know, this game, I feel like... It's so fresh in my mind. I feel like I just finished playing it. Thank you, Matthew. We appreciate your loving words. And I'm now kicking you off the show. No, not (laughs) at all. (laughs) Second off. It's been fun. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Second off, we are guest player um, with a very familiar name. 
Hi everybody, this is Kevin Smith. Uh, I am the blogger behind Melvin Smith's Geekery. You can also find me as at SharnDM on Twitter. And last but certainly not least, my good buddy from the Geekly Inc. world. Hi everybody, it's John uh, at Renaku on Twitter and one-third of Transformation Sequence. Cool. So guys, um, let's, let's just share our feelings. What did we think about Neon Sanctum? All right, I'll go first. Um, I really enjoyed Neon Sanctum. It was a ton of fun, like, just having the card sitting out in front of you. I'm not really all that familiar with card-based role-playing games. This was actually the first time I've ever played in one. I did review that uh, Faith card-based game earlier on the blog, but I only got to see the rules. I didn't get to actually play around with them. So I liked Neon Sanctum. I liked playing it a lot more than I thought I would, actually. John, what did you think? I thought I was actually really nervous to play because I'm I'm very nervous about uh, playing new systems because I'm I don't want to look like an idiot trying to like oh what's this rule again? But it was all straightforward. I really enjoyed it. And Mr. Matthew, quick quick instinct. I th- I thought it was a, a a good use of the cards. It was uh, totally different than Faith, so uh, that was interesting. The cards were a lot more personal. It was it was fun. Now uh, I think Matthew here, you have a great take on both of these games because you did play faith when we did our actual play for that as a quick word uh, so people understand what we're referring to if if you haven't listened to the other show or or don't know what faith is um, faith is another sci-fi based rpg using a deck of cards Uh, however in that game you actually have a hand of cards that you play to do certain actions and the numerical values of them have an impact. It's kind of like playing certain poker hands to accomplish certain things. In Neon Sanctum, uh, you have a, a, a hand of cards, but it's only maybe five or six cards. And these cards represent your character sheet in an older style, more classic game. So these are not cards you are usually playing and getting rid of they are cards that exist to define your character so you don't really have stats you do have some set figures like damage and health and movement Um, but specifically the in general i should say the cards are your abilities your actions they represent your skill points your training they can cover everything from combat actions to social interactions engineering hacking the whole shebang. Um, one of the things I was confused about when I first read the rules was I, I thought we were, it was more like kind of a, a Magic the Gathering where, where you would discard the cards and you would lose them. I thought you would have like a huge deck of cards, like th- 20 or 30 cards. And then when Adam was running for us, he was like, oh no, you have like six cards and that defines your character. Uh, so it's a really interesting take, I think. It, it was a good way to look at the characters and keep things pretty fresh. I thought it was really neat to, uh, one thing you didn't mention about the cards, they also represent your hit points. Uh, whenever you take damage, uh, you remove certain cards at your discretion, and it's kind of a unique way to approach that your character gets less effective because they have fewer of their ability cards. And obviously you're going to start by discarding the ones that you use less often, so your character's still pretty effective because they still have some of their good stuff. Represents kind of taking minimal damage, but as it goes on and you lose more of your good cards, it could really do a good job of representing 
heavier damage. I thought that was a really neat aspect. I agree. Uh, I think it it gave players a little bit more weight to their decision. You know, in a in a standard RPG, you take damage, you know you're going to die soon. But in Neon Sanctum, you take damage, and you know that you have lost the ability to be a better sniper, or you have lost the ability to, uh, you know, be more effective in combat, or do some sort of computer hacking or something. Uh, it, it it definitely made me focus a lot more on the cost of battle. Any other opinions on that? I think it handled the h the uh, the hit point uh, dynamic very well with the whole getting rid of abilities, and you like weigh your options. Like, oh, you know, I you know, all these guys are closing in. I'm really not gonna need to do any more shots, so I can get rid of these. Uh, shooting bonuses that I have because I'm just going to be bludgeoning people to death for the rest of this encounter. Hopefully. Yeah. Definitely some risk reward cost analysis there in yeah. your choice. You can even kind of mentally picture uh, the damage taken. So, like, say you decide to get rid of one of your cards that requires, like, swinging a sword. I mean, perhaps you took a shot to the arm or something like that, and, like, that arm's gone dead. I mean, it obviously that isn't spelled out but it's easy to mentally picture how certain things can be taken away by losing those hit points it was a fresh way to like looking at hit points i i really enjoyed that aspect of it it made you like think tactically about like you guys said um how you're going to approach a combat situation definitely i i think that is the defining factor of neon sanctum uh, it's really what sets it apart from other role playing games and I think so far they have very clearly made a, a great, unique feature to the game. We used pre-gen characters, and we used sample cards. The cards right now are gorgeous. They've got great artwork. They're, the cards are really packed full of information. This is not a typical magic card with one big piece of art and a couple lines of text underneath. Uh, there is a picture on there that gives you some uh, good idea of what's going on. There's uh, some funny flavor text uh, towards the bottom, um, but there is a ton of information on the card about what it does, how it interacts with the game, the other items you have, other characters and enemies. The game is built to be played on a battle map uh, with grids, and uh, in the final game there will be tokens and pieces and stuff to move around. The pre-gen characters we had uh, were... I would probably say like level one or level two, mm -hmm. if we want to put those in um, those kind of equivalents. Neon Sanctum works on a point by system. So you players are given a, a set number of points to purchase these powers with. And uh, we played with uh, approximately 20 point characters. We didn't really get to go into character generation, but uh, did anyone have any thoughts about the whole point by buying cards to define your character kind of concept it sounds really easy to me i mean because you have a certain amount of points to spend on cards that you want and i believe they said that there's going to be a separate system set up for equipment uh and that uh, that's about it you describe how social your character is how focused they are on combat or survival based on this card you choose and it I don't know, it seems pretty simplistic. I kind of like the fact that you can just be a jack-of-all-trades character. You can pick um, basically everything and like put it together into one character. 
So you can be medical and you can be social and you can shoot and you can do your tech thing, which is real interesting to me. It's a good way to, to um, I want to say you can, if you don't think it through, you can be kind of uh, shoehorned pretty easily or, or rather cornered by your choices during character creation where you're like, oh, I'm going to take all these skills and all this stuff. And then you're like, I really can't do anything <laughs> well. That's a that's actually a really great point. With the pre-gens we were given, we actually had a pretty wide range of stuff we could do, but each pre-gen was, character was very focused in one area. And it I, I can see a problem with buying all combat cards, say. You know, if you don't have healing, if you don't have any kind of engineering or hacking, uh, you can certainly keep making those rolls, but then you're taking penalties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's clearly worth your while to build a well-rounded character, but still build a focus. I, I certainly, at, at this point, I have not read the rules and seen all of the cards for character generation from scratch. So I, I'd like to see how it plays out. But I I think there will certainly be some challenges in, in building a, a, a good-to-manage character. Yeah, I know that uh, it's also good to have a, a wide variety of skills because out of combat... You don't necessarily need to be as focused on what that specific card does so much as it gives you bonus for, say, a social situation or a survival situation. So it's nice to have that flexibility. As far as characters functioning well, it really seems to lend itself to everyone playing as a group. I mean, we were a tactical team. We were tart. (laughs) I love it. So, I mean, like, we all had our strengths, and we could play off of each other even when when someone kind of lacked in another area. So it definitely seems to be like tactical teams are the, the focus of the type of player dynamic, the way it is in a lot of RPGs, actually. Well, I, I think one of the things that we might have glossed over a little bit or didn't focus on as much, when you are out of combat, the content of the card doesn't matter. It's the type of card that matters. So if I have a, a science card, I can do something science-y, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. Uh, if I had to do something science and I didn't have a science card, I could still attempt it, but I'd take a penalty. The fact that that science card I was using or referring to was an acid splash or uh, some sort of shield or something, that doesn't matter. So what you said there, Kevin, is is right. You you have to think also a a second level, a second use of the cards out of combat. Let's let's chat about initiative and actions because this was pretty unique. And when I was reading through the rules, I was a little leery of it, and I'm still a little leery of it. But uh, what are other people's opinions? I didn't mind the initiative track. Um, I just didn't like the way we couldn't see it so it was hard to follow like i had no idea when i was going at any point during any of those turns that happened so long that's kind of the drawback of playing online though is that you can't really see the initiative track but i guess if we like maybe if we did roll 20 and you can like input those cards and you can see that initiative that would be a lot better exactly it's the fact that we were playing with a hard copy game in a soft copy mode we could have just typed it into the chat. Yeah, we I mean, could let's have, be honest. We, we could have typed it we into the chat. We were kind of lazy but, there. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we got a little science. lazy about that. Yeah. 
in in general here, the the initiative in Neon Sanctum, you you put your character card uh, into a deck. The GM puts the monster or the opponent cards into that deck. He or she shuffles them all up and then deals them face up on the table. And that's called the initiative river. So it's totally random. There's no stats to roll. You don't you know, roll an initiative modifier. Uh, it's just a random turn order of who goes first. But there are certain abilities that move character cards in the turn order. So you could delay someone with a certain type of attack and push them down the initiative track or the river. You could, Kevin, you had an ability that moved people up in the initiative river. I liked that part of it. I liked that ability to, that way to manipulate initiative. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of initiative being completely random from the get-go. Uh, that might be one of the only few quirks I really have with the system. I, I kind of like the idea of players having a little bit of control over whether their character is a quick in the initiative order character or not. But it does make up for it with those manipulative cards that you mentioned that kind of slide people along that initiative track. So, on, on one hand, just to be the devil's advocate against our dislike, it kind of represents the whole randomness of a combat encounter. I mean, if we're trying to think real world, you know, you're not always going to walk into a fight prepared. So if you're sprung upon by monsters or enemy thugs... It's just kind of whoever's acting. So it, it kind of lends itself to that chaos a little bit. And then it reflects the ability of the tactician, the character who chose those initiative modifying abilities to take charge of the chaos and structure it to your advantage. That being said, yeah, I don't like it that much either. <laughs> I, I thought it was a fresh take on something that's always been ingrained in role-playing games of, oh, I'm faster than you, I go first. I mean, that's that's all well and good, but I, I do enjoy the random fact of having a deck and then shuffling in and playing the cards out. I, I, I enjoyed it. It does make you think a little bit mm -hmm. more. I mean, it forces you to pay attention to the game. Uh, it does keep players engaged at the table. You have to pay attention to the cards that are drawn and any actions that may change them. I'm going to guess that in the finished game, there will also be enemies that can change the turn order. Oh, that would be interesting. So they could push. Yeah, because they could push us back or rearrange themselves as well. Kind of like our, our tactical leader. They have a tactical leader of their own moving the initiative order. That'd be real cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did definitely see in our playtest that some of the enemies did work together pretty well. Uh, there was the robot leader that cast shields on the other robots and gave them a turn boost. So we know that that type of sync up between enemies exists, uh, and I would not be surprised to have enemies that could also change their turn order as well. So that would certainly be interesting. Actions, uh, when you're looking at your... Um, your turn order, uh, in general, you had like an, a, an attack option and a defense option that responded that corresponded to certain cards, but turns were also governed by action points. And you had a set number of action points, and you had to choose how to spend those action points between using cards, moving, taking shots, reclaiming spent cards, sustaining powers, sustaining powers, absolutely. I'm still a little bit. I'm still considering that. What What do you guys think about that stuff? I thought it was hard to follow without a player's mat. Yeah, all the zones. The, the The amount of the amount of options we had, I didn't 
know where to put things. Like I was like, okay, I have three in my damage, one in my cooldown, um, cooldown, one in my uh, hold position or whatever. And these tool cards, they just float around in space somewhere. And I'm like, if I had a, I mean, I don't know if there was one in the rule book and I just didn't print it out, but they're they're talking about making that a thing, the playmat. Yeah. So it's it's gonna like, be a laid yeah, out. Playmat would have helped just because there were so many cards. Yeah, that might very well be part of the Kickstarter by this point in time. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Keeping everything organized on the table was kind of rough. Specifically, though, the the whole aspect of choosing how to spend those action points to define your turn. What are our thoughts on that? I liked the action points. It, it was really kind of neat. And it almost feels like you have more than you need at some points. But... Once you get deeper into combat, you're starting to pull back cards from cooldown, so you have to spend points to bring those back. Or once you have an actual battle mat out in front of you, if you're playing this live, which, I mean, online was a lot of fun, and I feel like he simplified combat to better help be an online situation, but this is really a game that works best in person. And... But once you have those zones where you could go, we have to spend action points to get to different zones. The action points give you a lot of flexibility. That's some systems that require, like, certain activities only occur in certain moves. I mean, I, I like the action points a lot. What do you think about the points, John? Uh, once again, it lends to the tactical aspect of the game. You choose whether you're like, oh, I sustained five action points worth of things to keep myself defended, and so I only have one action to do, while you're trying, oh, should I bring this thing on, off a cooldown and put it back into my hand? It just, it lends to the tactical aspect, and I think that's interesting as a role-playing game. That's true. It certainly makes you very aware of your choices as a player. You, you can't necessarily get cards out of damage, but when you use a card, it goes into cooldown, which comes out of your hand, so it's kind of like extra damage you've taken. You've expended effort or mental focus. You have to use some of your action points, which are at this point are a little bit like endurance, to get that focus back. Or you can choose to focus on combat and just do more actions related to attacking or, or defending, or you can choose to maintain the stances and the strategies you've already played to be a better uh, character in that moment. So you have a, a ton of different options to think about. What about you, Matt? I don't know. I just, I thought it was, I don't know. It's so, so far away. I can't, I can't think about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was so long so ago long. that we played. I know. Uh, it's hard to remember. It, it, it's definitely messy. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's not an, an intuitive, I just can figure this out by doing it kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not necessarily a bad thing, though. I, I don't see that as, as a, a negative factor. But this might not be as easy to pick up for brand new players if they don't have that mindset of, I need to focus on the math and the numbers and, and think about two different sets of numbers on the card and how many points I have left to do this and and that tactical side of things. This is definitely a gamer's game. Yeah. It, it's not some it's not something you might pick up off the shelf at Target. <laughs> like I've I've played a lot of War Machine. So the idea of like keeping those numbers in line in my head is no real issue for me. Uh not that I'm saying I'm a fantastic tactical player, but 
this game is certainly simpler than that. Uh, like, if you're familiar with tabletop wargaming, this'll be, this'll be something that might be right up your alley. I could see that if you're using the battle map, but the way we were playing it was a little hard to, hard to grasp sometimes. It was a, it was a lot more tactical than, than, uh, a hangout, I think. (laughs) Yeah, there is certainly a lot of physical maps and minis tactics in this game. I don't want to say it's as tactical as 4th edition Dungeons & Dragons, but there certainly needs to be a very constant awareness of where figures are on the map, the type of environment you're walking through. Uh, Something we didn't even get to touch on because we didn't have the physical map was that there are certain squares uh, that cost more movement to get to and move through. There were there's a, a zone dynamic where there it costs more or less to move into or out of certain zones. So we didn't really get to sample that. This is very clearly a game that requires your absolute attention. You can't really just ignore someone else's turn and still know what's going on on your turn, which I appreciate. I really like that. I think it's very easy to lose your attention span when you're playing a game, a uh, role-playing game. Um, we've said this on the show many times. It's so easy to get distracted with uh, your smartphone, your tablet, looking through the rule book, looking at the monster manual, uh, wandering off to grab something to eat. Neon Synctum really requires you to pay attention and invest in the moment of the game, which is good. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fun to be had playing off of each other's characters that way. Uh, and with a lot of the versatility, I mean, even if you play like a support character, you're still able to maybe pop off an attack after playing some sort of healing mechanism in a defensive mode. I mean, it's it's really, it's really going to be kind of interesting to play around with it a little bit more and see all of those options out there. Definitely, yeah, and and I did that a couple times. My character was the the hacker, the healer, and there were quite a few moments where I got to run up and heal you guys and realized I still had enough action points to take a shot and do something cool. So that was a good good part of the game. Our playtest really did focus mostly on combat and skill-based scenarios. We got some role-playing in there, and it was good. We really didn't get to see a a full campaign run start to finish. There wasn't a lot of NPC interaction. I I think that was just the nature of the playtest we did. You know, we can't really fault or judge a game on role-playing because that's all on us. And let's be honest, I I really like the cyberpunk world. If you read through the book, uh, the introduction to the world of Neon Sanctum, it's pretty awesome. He wrote a really good story. Uh, it's a great setup of those classic cyberpunk tropes of uh, the big corporate entities. Uh, there's a, a nice mashup of some old world, old tech uh, mythology elements, but still maintaining that sci-fi modern kind of twist. It's definitely a world I would like to write stories in uh, and like to play through because I, I really do like that. You know, awesome, big, giant building pulsing with neon in the rain kind of cyberpunk film noir deal. So I think we've got a good setting. Um, It's certainly something I want to explore in a little bit more. Um, Before we uh, aim towards concluding our wrap-up here, does anyone have any final thoughts, feelings, anything we want to talk about about the game we didn't touch on yet? 
any rules, any mechanics. Did we mention their Kickstarter? I'm sorry, um, I zoned for like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, John, by the time this airs, the Kickstarter will probably be live. Awesome. I can't wait to back it. If it is not live yet, uh, Neon Sanctum is going to be kickstarted. Um, it is based out of a UK development team, so be aware of the cash conversion. Adam has said that they are trying to keep the, the price point pretty reasonable, equivalent to a, a typical big box game here in the States. He said that they are uh, looking at shipping and trying to keep that reasonable, if not nothing, uh, to get it out to us as easily and cost-effectively as possible. I think this is a great game for Kickstarter. Uh, I think they have a reasonable price for a very unique, very interesting product. So most likely by the time you are listening to this, their Kickstarter is live or is about to be live. So uh, take this as a hands-on experience and swing over and check out all of their pledge levels and stretch goals. This is something that deserves to be brought into reality. So we absolutely want to see this happen. Does anyone have anything else to mention before we do kind of a uh, roundtable conclusion? I had something and I don't remember what it was. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's do this. Let's each do something uh, we really, really liked about it. Just to close off with, you know, our best takeaway, our final uh, opinion of the game. Uh, we will start with Kevin. I think the thing I really like about it, and I mentioned it a number of times, are just the options that characters have. And it strikes me that the DM's going to have that same level of options with their NPC characters. It's just, with the two-phase mechanism and your action points that you get to spend, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun to do that. I also love the fact that it's cyberpunk apocalyptic mashup. That seems like a really fun world to play around in. Uh, as far as something that I probably didn't like as much, I mentioned it before, maybe the initiative system, uh, the fact that it's completely random, but initiative is one of those things you can toy with real easy, so someone could fix that up any way they like, and I do like the initiative manipulation. Cool, cool, some good points there. John, what's the last word for us, buddy? I really enjoyed the team aspect of this game. I think that all the characters work well together, if you make them that way. I like that there's so many character options between skills and how you interact with items and everything. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed our time together. So, Cool. And you know what? We didn't even see the uh, all of the cards. Oh, no. This was just a little sample they gave us. So, yeah, there's a ton more items. There's going to be a ton more skills. That is a, a great aspect of the game, absolutely. Um, Matthew, what about you? I thought about what I wanted to say, so I'm going to say that first, and then I'll say something nice. I wasn't a fan of the crit, oh, if you crit too hard, your weapon's going to break. Like, it was like punishment for, for doing well, and that, that, <laughs> that kind of uh, irked me. It was like, oh, you, you hit him really hard, your weapon's broken. What? Why? <laughs> or, or in the, like, when you guys are using guns, I was like, how shitty are your guns that you get a good shot off and your weapon goes, bink! Now, mind you, this didn't Maybe happen jam. in the game at all. Yeah. Uh, we we didn't really break a weapon, so I mean no, no, but uh, yeah, it it was just like I don't I don't understand why they did that, but that's I guess that's the post apocalypse p 
part of it. Yeah, I, I think that that might be pointing towards a little bit of uh, like the fact that these are kind of maybe cobbled together weapons, old world tech. Maybe we don't know how to use them as efficiently as we should. There, there was not a mechanic of, of critical misses and critical successes when it comes to damage and skills, although some of the skills did have something that would kick in under certain scenarios to make them a little bit better. So maybe they just maybe the guys just wanted to add that level of kind of risk to being constantly awesome in combat, yeah. you know, temper it a little bit. Good point though. Uh, that is something that is uh, something to pay attention to. If you if you want to be really really awesome, you're gonna be awesome, but there's some some chance right, something's right. gonna blow Roll up. Roll nines. Roll all nines. <laughs> Roll nines. All the Lots nines. of nines. And then uh, my compliment would be, even though we didn't make our own characters, I like the fact that it's like a, it's almost like a deck building thing to make your character, and I think that's kind of cool. And it's kind of like, we didn't go through a lot of the world either, but it's kind of a broad, like, I was a troll. I don't know where the hell the trolls came from. Like, that was that was out of left field for me, but apparently you can do whatever the hell you want, it seems like, so that's kind of cool. Definitely. It's a very unique world. It borrows a little bit from other uh, other cyberpunk fantasy mashup games where there are elements of magic and mutation and monsters. Uh, although this eliminates in Neon Sanctum, there, there's really no magic. It's just physical mutations and genetics and stuff. That's one of the things we really didn't get into. Other, other genetic mutations, cybernetics, robots, that kind of stuff. It really is a very interesting world, though. For me to wrap up here, I think... Neon Sanctum is a great game. I really liked playing it. I had a lot of fun. I think we had a great party put together. Uh, we had a blast playing off of each other. Adam did a great job running for us. I mean, it's his game. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> it was very entertaining. Uh, the rules are really unique. They're pretty new and vibrant. They're fresh. Uh, it's not just the typical sit around rolling dice and learn how this spell or this ability works versus D&D. I like that. I love the setting. I like the flexibility when it comes to building characters. I also really like, as a GM, all the other bad guys and stuff, they're on their own cards. So it's not like I have to scramble or waste time in building uh, an enemy or an NPC. I just grab the card I need. So if I need to very quickly put together an encounter or a combat, I can just grab that out of the deck. And it's pretty easy to customize, too. The only thing that I will say any sort of downside of this um, it's a very unique almost foreign system there's definitely a a learning curve just walking into it is going to be a challenge you know we I read through the book a dozen times before we played and I was still a little bit unsure of some of the rules uh, but playing through it with someone who could explain them all easy as pie so yeah if you just pick the game off off the, the shelf in your local game store might be a little weird to get used to, but read through the story, give it some time, uh, and you'll really hit it off pretty well. So yeah, that was our wrap-up of the Neon Sanctum Trials here on the RPG Academy. A big, big, big thank you to Adam for running this game for us across the time difference of the ocean. Thanks to our special guest players, Kevin and John, uh, as always, thank you, Matthew, because I just love you so much. Aw, I love you too. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
And iTunes loves us both. And iTunes loves us both. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. I certainly hope you check out the Neon Sanctum Kickstarter. Uh, give it some coin and make this thing a reality. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize, but we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash vrpgacademy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.